For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Bible teaches us to guard our thoughts. Right beliefs produce right behavior, while wrong thoughts result in bad actions. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle is calling for an effort to keep our thoughts in line with the truth. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Taking Our Thoughts Captive. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time now, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would focus our hearts and our minds on the living, active Word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce down and get into the parts that really need attention, where our spirit and our soul lives. So we're thankful, God, for your love and your grace that goes before the Word and covers us and teaches us how to put these truths into practice so we could be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in the headlines this week, a very interesting article. Maybe you saw it. Um, Well-known, conventional, reputable scientific journal published a paper titled Biomechanical Characteristics of Hand Coordination in Grasping Activities of Daily Living. Now, it's not an article I would normally turn to in a journal. I mean, just the title sounds a little bit uh, out there. But a team of four researchers, uh, three uh, from China, one from America, uh, presented a study on the human hand. uh, And it got published and simply stated it was uh, to examine the mechanics of how we grasp things and to look at this thing that we call a hand. There were 30 participants in the study. They took measurements and all kinds of things like that. Um, uh, I'll show you a slide that just tells you what it was about. I mean, they really focused on what is the hand, how does it work, and all the movements and components that make us able to use our hands. And uh, well, there are After it was published, there was a public outcry uh, in the scientific community. There were boycotts organized and huge threats um, if amends were not uh, made. There were demands on the editorial board uh, and the journal to retract the paper. And uh, everybody really was in an uproar. Are you wondering why? Let me quote from the article about the paper, all right? In the opening sentences of the study, it claims the link between muscles and hand movements is the product of, quote, proper design by the creator. As Scooby-Doo once said, (laughs) (laughs) ruh-roh. It works every time. Anyway, by the way. Uh, Later, it says, it goes on. Oh, they should have stopped there. (laughs) Uh, Later, it says, human hand coordination, quote, should indicate the mystery of the creator's invention. 
and concludes by again claiming the mechanical architecture of the hand is the result of the intended design by its creator. Three Chinese atheists and one American atheist came to that conclusion after studying not the eyeball, not the brain and a hundred billion neurons, not the cardiovascular system, not the fact that we were at one time, we were all for 90 minutes, one cell, a half cell from mom, a half cell from dad, and for 90 minutes, an hour and a half, you 100 trillion cell being was one cell and somehow, it all just developed into a human being who could laugh and dance and sing and do math and go to the moon and back all by itself. Hmm. Well, their conclusion was, and I've got a picture of it, uh, that <laughs> the hand is suggesting that there was another hand involved, the prototype of the hand, a designer who himself had Hands. And so with that, everybody went crazy. Why? Because they're scientists, and it was like the major scientific journal, right? And so they just went crazy, and all hell broke loose. And I mean that literally, because I'm sure the devil was not very pleased with their findings, you know? And so um, under immense pressure, the researchers recanted. They said, we think it's a translation error. <laughs> Come on, right? Well, because they're atheists. Well, they came to this conclusion, put it out there, and said, what do you guys think? I mean, you know, hello, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. That's what, that's what we're coming to the conclusion of against our own natural inclination and beliefs, you know, and, and so the editorial board we, uh, <laughs> retracted the article and offered an apology for their sloppy editorial work, right? Yeah. Did we expect anything else? But too late, too late, because the word and the light and the truth already got disseminated out to whoever God wanted it to go to, to those little Christian kids who were raised in the church and then went off into science and just lost themselves in that whole world and used the academic gift to shut out the author of life. Well, they heard through their own colleagues who they respected and a journal they respected one more time. And so what really concerned me and threw me for a loop was the comment section. Over a thousand comments of the most angry, hostile, vitriol, bitter, mocking, blasphemy I just, some of them was like, whoa, whoa, I, I, I can't even read those. They're so grievous, right? And I realized I walked away from this whole thing going, wow, there's a war. We are in a war for men's souls of light and dark and truth and error. And that is, and spiritual ignorance, right? And, and um, that's what the verse is about. The verse is about... <laughs> going from spiritual darkness into the light and how we should live as a result. Uh, the problem there in Ephesus, as we're about to see, is, is that people once felt 
that God was, <laughs> didn't exist. And they were, you know, kind of as out there as some of those who were in a big outrage over the article. In other words, they once uh, were empty and dead in their sins and groping around in the dark and they come into the light. And then they got plugged back into there, after receiving the gospel, they went back to life in Ephesus, which was so <laughs> idolatrous and immoral, and they had a hard time. Here's the problem. They had a hard time living as Christians, even though their lives had changed because of the environment of unbelief around them. And so we're headed uh, to back to Ephesians 4, uh, where Paul is going to present the problem here and try to encourage uh, Christians uh, how to live their lives with all that kind of hostility that comes back when God comes into your life, how we do that. And so let's, here's the problem laid out. So he says, I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles. The word there just means, really, it means pagan in the sense that uh, outside of the Jewish faith. And so really, it just means atheist or unbeliever. It's just a, a harmless word, really, that means outside of faith, outside of Judaism, outside of the Jewish people. So when we can look at that and say unbelievers or, or atheists. So I insist on this. It's God's command that you stop living as unbelievers in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 20, you, however, you didn't come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former life to put, your, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and, and in true holiness. So that's the text that we're going to examine in its entirety this morning. It divides quite nicely. Um, but, you know, Paul lays out the problem here, and it's a big one. You know, we get called out of the world. You go to a crusade and you hear the gospel. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if anybody be in Christ, their new creation, the old is gone, the new is gone. So you have a whole new, the lights on, you've got new values, new agenda, new goals, new desires, right? And those are lived out as we live a Christian life out. But, and then, then you get into a church and you find like-minded believers and God has the process to grow us up. But the, the problem is, is that you end up having Monday morning to go back into a world that doesn't share your newfound enthusiasm for the things of God. You know, the light didn't come on in their heart, and the scientific community will want you to know that. You know, we're happy for you that you think there's a creator, but how dare you 
uh, put your findings out for all of us, like you would like us to enter into something that we stand against. And so that's the problem that they're having, and certainly what's happening is they're falling back under the pressure. They're recanting. They're saying, oh, it must have been a translation problem. What I really said was X and not Y, right? And then they ended up saying, yeah, I'll go to the party. Yes, of course, I'll worship Caesar and put some incense on the altar at work for Caesar because of the pressure. And so he's saying, let me fix this by giving you anatomy of how atheists think and how they live and how Christians think and how they live. So he's going to juxtapose both of those situations and kind of compare and contrast so to encourage us uh, to walk with the Lord in the right way. Now, you know, I got saved. You, most of you know it was one of those open your eyes at 19. Uh, it was on a Sunday, but it wasn't at church. And you know the story. I, you know, people have been sharing the gospel on the streets with me, and I was in a bar at the time, and the Lord decided to slip in, didn't pay the cover charge or anything that I'm aware of, but there he was, and he gave me sort of an audio, I call it an audio vision. I just kind of heard a voice, and I knew it was him, and I knew my days as a sinner were over. And I walked out of that bar with my brother, a born-again Christian. It's filled with the Holy Spirit. I just knew stuff I shouldn't have known. Never been in church, never read the Bible, but I was this person. And I went home and I got plugged in. To, you know, I knew immediately Monday morning that my life wasn't going to work there where I was. I went back to Gibraltar Savings and Loan the next day, now a born-again Christian. And immediately, I was freaked out. I was so freaked out. Uh, I was a bank teller, and one of my best friends was next to me. And I walked in, and I'm working with him, and I'm all excited, like, whoa, what was that about? I just, wow, I got saved, and wow. And, and this guy, uh, uh, and he goes, what's wrong with you? I started to get freaked out. Why did I get freaked out? I just said, I never realized how, much, how many times you use Jesus' name. I just did, because it was Jesus, 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 God, God. And I was like, dude, you're saying Jesus more than me, and I just met him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I never heard it before. And then we went to lunch, and then I heard more things in the off-color jokes. I, I just said, did I used to laugh at that? Because that wasn't very funny. That made me feel uncomfortable. And, and then I'm in the car, and I'm uncomfortable with the music, but it was my music. You know, so what, what is going on with me? I didn't fit back into the world. So I moved in with my mom and dad in Santa Cruz. The only Christian I knew was my father, a Jew, Jew from Brooklyn who got saved six months earlier, right? And so within 48 hours, God did a miraculous thing to plug me into an equipping center, a church, and I found that church, and 36 years later, I still love the pastor who discipled me. We're still in relationship, and that church meant a great deal. But the Ephesians, they were in the courtyard square. They heard the gospel, and they had to go back to that bank that worshipped Diana or Artemis, right? They had friends who were saying, you're coming to the brothel, 
with us because that's what we do every Friday. We go to the brothel together, and, and those guys are like, right? And they were going. They were going, and Paul's like, you can't go. This is the way they think. This is the way they live. This is the way you think. This is the way you live. That's going to be the crux of the strategy to encourage Christians to not just talk the talk, but think the thoughts and then let the thoughts lead you in the right direction because it's always right thinking, right behavior. So how does this divide? It divides in two, right in half, kind of. Uh, The old life, verses 17 through 19, and the new life, verses 20 through 24. And so we're going to take a look at that, 17 through 19 first. We'll isolate that. That's point number one, the old life. So the old life, how unbelief manifests itself in behavior, all right? So I would call this the anatomy of the unbelieving heart. So he says, you know, there he says, listen, this is a command from the Lord. This, take, sit up and pay attention because you've got to stop living like an atheist because they are thinking in futility. It's dark, it's empty, and it's their own doing. It's because they harden their heart to God. You, you know, they've kind of lost the ability to sense uh, moral things, and they've kind of given themselves over to that way of life, and it's just a downward spiral, a continual desire for more of that, and that's not going to be you. And so, The old life. Well, what's striking to me, and I always like to point this out, is the connection between thinking and behaving. Every bad thing that you've ever done started with a bad thought. Every good thing that you've ever done, uh, generally speaking, it begins with right thinking, produces right behavior. You know, mom was right, garbage in, garbage out. You know, as a man thinks in his heart, King James version of um, Proverbs 23, as a man thinks, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. In other words, if, in other words, if, I believe that there's a God, he has a plan for my life, and in the end, I will stand before him and give an account. That produces a certain kind of life, not a perfect life, but a different life from somebody who's thinking, there's no God, there's no plan, and there's no heaven and hell, and I'm not going to stand before anybody and give an account of my life, this is my life. That produces a very different kind of behavior than A, right? And so... That's so important and why the Bible goes on a lot to talk about. Pay attention to what's going through your head. And he's going to really talk about that when he gets to the Christian life. But for now, he's going to say, check out atheists, why they behave in godless ways. They believe, they behave, generally speaking, in Ephesus. It was a pagan culture. He's generally speaking, he's not saying all unbelievers are are given over to such immorality. It's a general statement, especially in Ephesus, where there was rampant idolatry and immorality. And he's saying, let's just look inside what's going on in here that's leading to that kind of godless living. And he goes to futility of thinking. So I'm pulling this from your text. Futility of their thinking doesn't mean stupid. It can, they can be brilliant thinking. It's just that it, 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 
in the end, it goes nowhere because it's disconnected from God, the creator of all things. So if you're around doing your thing and it's very clever and smart and brilliant and you're getting a lot done, but in the end, you're, you're spinning over here and you're not connected to the source of life in the universe, right? Then it's all for naught, right? Thoreau had a great um, quote and he said about a modern day, I think I lost the quote, but that's okay, I can summarize it. The modern day his modern day accomplishments in society. He said, uh, modern man has found clever and improved ways at coming to unimproved ends, which means we're getting better and better at coming to the same dead end, right? And, and so the futility of thinking isn't saying they're stupid. It's saying you're missing the piece of knowledge that translates knowledge into wisdom instead of just a bunch of facts that don't incorporate common sense and application. And in this case, it would be the knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of God. And the reason their thoughts are futile is because they have a darkened understanding. The Bible teaches that we're born apart from God because of the fall. We disconnected, our parents disconnected, and so God is light. So we are born in disconnect. And Jesus said, you have to be born again. And when you're born again, the Holy Spirit, God is light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. The Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son make their home in us and you're enlightened. Well, that's not present in the atheist. There's a darkened understanding in the atheist, but there's a light because Jesus said, anybody who follows me will never walk in darkness because I'm the light of the world. John chapter eight, verse 12, that's his claim. And so uh, this leads to what uh, he says, it's because the ignorance in them. Once again, not about, it's not a pejorative term there where you call somebody ignorant. It's not about being uneducated or stupid. It's ignorant, lacking the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of life and God and truth so that you can order the world aright the way it was created to be and how you were created to be. How in the world are you ever going to figure out your part or your design if you don't know the creator who, who created you? He had something in mind when he created every human being. And if you're disconnected from the one who created you for whatever was in his mind, how on earth in your disconnect, are you ever going to hit the bullseye, right? And so we need, our thoughts need to not be ignorant of the creator, uh, uh, but to be plugged in. And so interestingly, who does he indict as responsible for this problem? Is it a lack of information? Do they just need more faith? Do they just need more uh, knowledge? No, 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 no. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their own hearts. It's a self-inflicted condition. And God is going to say right there that he holds unbelievers responsible uh, for the, um, 
the darkened, empty state and the, the ignorance that's in them because they've hardened their hearts. Unbelief in the Bible is uh, an intentional, culpable, willful act on the part of unbelievers, as the Bible says. Many times it says the gospel came into a town, but they refused to believe. So God sees our choices in, in taking what he gives us as light and truth and conscience. Uh, he sees that as we're responsible to either to give it a place in our lives or to turn away from it. And because they keep turning away, God pricks their conscience. They ignore it. God brings a word of truth. They step it aside. God brings a little light. They close their eyes. And he says what that causes is the hardening there is the word for calloused. It creates a protective, in a sad way, a protective layer over their conscience and over their understanding so that it makes it harder and harder and harder for gospel truth to get into somebody who keeps taking the very little things that are happening and not applying them or using them. This is their own doing, the Bible says. And so he, he, he goes on to say, to invoke the name of the Lord right there in verse 17. He says with a strong and urgent voice, he says, you can't live like they, they live. You, 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 this is how they think, which produces this kind of behavior. Uh, empty thinking about God uh, produces empty life, you see? And so uh, he's going to go on here in verse 19 to say that kind of thinking, absence of truth, a disconnect from God, willful, and a calloused understanding in your heart, right, uh, produces a loss of sensitivity. And, and what that word means there is there's a loss of moral feelings and sentiment, you know. And so when a human heart is calloused over and cut itself off from the promptings of conscience and human decency and what's right, and the commands of the Lord, you open the floodgates for the sinful heart to do its thing, and out will come the unholy trinity. Trust me. Do you know about the trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know I've mentioned this before, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, all right? That's what happens. When you harden your heart to God and your conscience and to what uh, human decency and all of these things, all that matters is you and what you want. Me want that. Me don't care. Me made vows. Me see that. Me want that. Now, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if it belongs to you. Me want that thing. It's mine. Me don't care. <laughs> me going to get that, you know. Me have a big bill, so... Uh, my boss makes a lot of money, and so maybe I'll just borrow a little. It's called embezzling, you know, but, you know, me don't mind because me needs something. Me want it. You have it. It's a little bit of mine. So you get it, the me monster, the unholy trinity. All that matters, man, is you and what you want. That's what he's talking about. Having given themselves over to a sensuality, they've lost all moral sensitivity. It doesn't matter about my wife or my kids. 
because I want what I want. That's what the verse is teaching, that when there's a disconnect from God and the fear of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, who's going to put your passions in check? Who's going to do it? You're no match for that. And so the, the life he's describing here is a life of uh, the fruit of unbelief. And so verse 19 uh, continues on about this moral numbness, this moral uh, uh, dissoluteness, all right? So here we go. It says, they've given themselves over to sensuality. That word there can be translated licentiousness. Now, licentiousness is a King James word. It's a great word because it's from the word license. And all that means is you think you have a license to do whatever you want. There's no restrictions to anything that your heart is prompting you to. So that's the word there is that now without God, without truth, without the scriptures, without any kind of moral accountability, you're free to think whatever I want to do is okay and I'll justify it somehow. And that's how these kinds of people were living, just terrible things. You know, cheat on your wife, have an affair, embezzle money, you know, take what doesn't belong to you, lie your way into something, lie your way out. What does it matter? There's no God, or so they think. So last year, there were 1,165,383 violent crimes committed, presumably by people who don't think much about God, so they live in these kinds of ways. Murder, 50 people will lose their lives to murder. 50 people will be murdered today in America and every day. So when you wake up, there's another 50 going to face their murderer. Uh, this is in a Christian-based, Judeo-Christian country. Um, let me see, some more good news here. Eight, <laughs> eight million... 277,829 property crimes. Burglaries, larceny thefts, motor vehicles. Motor vehicles, there's 500,000 stolen in a year. So every year in America, 500,000 people, half a million of you will lose your car. How many of you had a, something stolen from you at one time in your life? Now... The world is basically good, right? Put your hands up again. <laughs> How many of you have been a victim of a crime? Keep your hands up, okay. The world is good, we're, we're, we're doing good, right? You know, you know, see, this verse is true. Whether it's outright and moral or it's more passive aggressive, it's true. Um, F.F. Bruce put it this way, a lust-like determination to gratify self-interest regardless of common decency, moral law, or the harm it may cause to others. And so why does it go deeper and deeper as we finish up this section of the anatomy of unbelief? You see there's a self-indulgent thing. It's not that they don't have the truth. They're suppressing the truth. And that brings this kind of behavior that, that, is, that is a continual drive for more. Why? Because the human heart is saying, I'm empty, I'm empty. I need some contentment. So we try a little bit of this and we try a little bit of that. And that, that goes in and it's like, okay, okay. But the heart goes, woo, 
and you need more of the same thing. And so you keep, that's what the thing with porn, pornography. So what I tell young men, oh, once you start, you're, 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 you're putting yourself on a train that's going to go down the mountain into a huge disaster because it never stops. You do not feed lust. You starve lust, and lust just means strong desire. So I'm not just talking uh, in sensual, sensuality. I'm talking about strong, passionate desires, greed, and uh, all coveting, and all of these things that are the lower uh, nature of, of human beings that is the default mechanism if you don't know God. If you don't know God, you've got to deal with all of those passions inside that try to uh, get out. And so what the heart is saying is, feed me, feed me, feed me. You try, you try, you try. And it's never going to be enough. That's why it keeps going and going and going until you find the Lord Jesus Christ who said, anybody who drinks of the water that I give, the water of life, it'll, it'll satisfy that thirsting of your soul. You'll take a sip and you'll never thirst again. John chapter four. That's the promise of the Lord. Augustine put it this way. There's a God-shaped void in our hearts and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. You see? And so once you come to him, you eat of the bread of heaven. You drink of the waters of life. And he puts out that flame inside. And so uh, just a terrible scenario of people who are lost in darkness, hardening their hearts, suppressing the truth that they do know. Do we have Romans chapter 1 there about suppressing the truth? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God just holds everybody accountable because of what? He says, you have a hand. <laughs> you have a hand. That's all you need. Do you see the mountains and the oceans and the life cycles and the animals and all of this? Well, you could see enough and people are without excuse. That's God's take on it. Yeah, you might need more information, but you have enough now to respond to what has been given you to open your heart a little bit more to receive the gospel. And he puts that on every human being. Now he turns to the believer. And the next verse says this, and our last point here. Strikingly, he says, you, you Christian in, in Ephesus, I'm talking to you that's not your experience. That's not your life. Those are not your thoughts. And that's not how you should be living. He says, you've met Christ. You've heard of Christ. You were taught him. You know the gospel. The truth is in Jesus. Jesus is in you. You know better. You got this. You were taught in regard to your old way of life to throw it away. It's corrupted and deceitful desires and be made new, renew your minds in the word of God and put on the new person God's created you to be. And that word righteousness means to live right before God, to be put right uh, before him and to do the right thing. And holiness, I think of moral purity, it means to be separated from your sin and the world unto God for his purposes. I like to think of that as moral purity. And so we're on the second point now, the new life. He says, you Ephesians, 
You're slipping. You're letting the pressure get to you. You're retracting the article. You're apologizing and saying, it must have been in translation. What are you thinking? They heap abuse on you, so you're going to go to a brothel? You, he says, it's striking in the Greek. It's like underline exclamation point. You, you're a different story. That's not who you are. That's not who God is making you. And that's not how you should be living. And he goes on and he gives some strategies there. He says, your, your thoughts aren't futile. <laughs> you have a purpose. Your understanding's not darkened. The light of the world's come on board. He says, you're not ignorant in the things of God. Your heart's filled with his presence and with the truth and the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, he said, something's happened to you and that something is Christ. I, lo I love this because it doesn't say, hey, you guys, you've learned about Christ. He doesn't say that. He says, you've learned Christ. What a, what a very interesting way of putting conversion. He means you got saved. I've never heard it put, you've got saved put as you learned Christ. So what he's saying is Christ has come into you and now through that experience, he's taught you. You've learned something up here. You have something that's fueling your behavior, your choices, how you live. It's not because you know about somebody. It's because you know him and he's in you and you're in him. And that produces a different kind of life. You're not a sad thing. A, a guy tells me, I went to work. I tried the, the company out. And he said, I'm not going to end up there, but let me tell you about my first day at the job. He was at some factory here in Santa Rosa. And he, and he, goes, uh, he goes, I sat down at lunch with a guy, co-worker, a bunch of guys. And he, and he, and he says, um, what do you do when you're not here? And the guy goes, play video games and watch porn and drink beer. And everybody laughed. And he says, what else is there to do? A human life knit together in his mother's womb by God Almighty with dignity and purpose and an eternal being who's wasting every day living like that, empty and fuel and spinning his wheels and going down into a crash landing. And he says, you are a Christian. You can't be doing things like that, gentlemen. Well, everybody's drunk. Just stop saying that. You've got the Holy Spirit in your heart. He's renewed your mind. You can't just be clicking anywhere you want to click. And it's an epidemic in the Christian world. This isn't in my notes. Surprise. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm telling you the outrage of the Holy Spirit. Look, look, look at this. He doesn't stutter when he repeats himself. Let me show you a paraphrase that I pulled out of this. This is what he, he says. You've come to know Christ. You heard of him. You were taught in him. You were taught the truth that is in Jesus. And then he goes on and says it again. You were taught to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Professor Arneson, Bethany Bible College, he says, gentlemen, when you get a repeating in the scriptures, God doesn't stutter. He's underlining and using a highlighter and saying to you, it starts 
here at the command center. You're never going to stop the bird from flying over, but you can stop it from building a nest, as I've said many times. And the majority of the problem that I get for 30 years as a Christian pastor doing pastoral counseling on the sofa in my office is people who won't do the intellectual work of taking thoughts captive and sorting through all the, the, the aviary that going on inside of their brain. And instead of shooing that bird away, they don't care. They're lied to all the time and they're used to it. Your husband doesn't love you. Uh, your kids, you know, are gonna grow up and do this and, and your boss this and you're this and that and uh, lies about God. If only we would pay attention to the Bible saying, you need to be in the word of God. Let the word of God replace those dumb thoughts and lies because you follow those lies into your life and behavior and they diminish your marriage and they prevent you from doing good things for God because you're all messed up in the command center. And he's saying, you're not, you're not like them, confused and in the dark. You know Christ, he's in there. You, he's taught the light is on. You know you have it all there. What he wants you to do is do a little work. I've got 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... <laughs> God doesn't give us guns and pistols and all of that. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every false thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm telling you, hardly any Christians I know do this. Everybody's just like a punching bag for every thought that just comes into your head. It's like, oh, well, I have these feelings and I have this thought. Well, hello. God said, I have the spirit of God and it's, I put that in you for a reason, to give you power to take a thought that comes in and you go, woohoo, that is not right, right? And you just see the Holy Spirit last so in that thing yanking it down and saying, you will obey the truth of Christ. And he does that work. I used this first service. It wasn't in my notes then. It's not in my notes now, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> A young man, it just really impressed me, and it stayed with me. Mowing the lawn, I had a side job, I'm saved, I'm going to Bible college, and I'm getting these thoughts, and they're upsetting me, and they're bothering me. And as I'm mowing the lawn, I, I've had the thought for so long, I started to find myself going, well, when you put it that way, you know, you know, you know that thought? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I guess, whoa. And I realized, Satan, you have overplayed your hand. I smelled him. I kind of caught wind of him. Like, whoa, that would that throw me off track totally. And I'm mowing the lawn. I stopped mowing the lawn. I put my hands up in the air and I started worshiping God. I, could, I was in another world. I started worshiping God and I, I said, oh, Jesus, Lord Jesus, save me. Come in and, and renew my mind. And I renounce that thought. And, and that is not the life that I'm going to live. And all of this stuff and all of that. And I was just worshiping God 
I never heard that thought again. I never heard. I walked, I, I, you know, the lawnmower's running. People are looking at me like, call the police. <laughs> Where is that? You don't have to be like that, but could you just say, wow, what a sick and disgusting thought. What a lie. God, I thank you that instead of that kind of fear, your perfect love casts out that fear or whatever it is you have to do to reverse that thought. That's the point of this passage. They do nothing with the thought. The thought comes in, hey, why don't you take a little money? Your boss saying, you know, well, you, you, you know, you just take a loan and you'll, you, you know all of that. They don't do anything with it and they do it. You can get a thought like that and you do get thoughts like that but you have the Holy Spirit on board. You don't let that thing go any further than, dear God, I am so broken and twisted inside. Please forgive me for even having that thought. I don't know where it came from, but it's not going any further than a confession to you, Jesus Christ. And you'll find a difference in the way. Look at the next one here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, whatever's lovely and admirable, let that be the filter of what's going on upstairs. If it doesn't fit in there, you've got to cast it out because it's not going to be helpful. And so, you know, I'm saving you money at a therapist's office right now. <laughs> Paul has two ways as we wrap things up here now. Two ways... Uh, two analogies that he, you can go back to our verse. Thank you for that. It's so important how we think and pay attention to our thoughts. But he's going to say, here's what you were taught. To renew you, the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, right? But to verse 22, halfway through, to put off your old self, right? And to put on the new self. Paul likes this, he uses it a lot, and we're going to see a cross-reference here. He likes the analogy of a dirty, rotten coat, and that being your old nature. And he says, you got to take that thing off, man. And Jesus got a righteous, white, clean linen robe, a new life, new power, put that on. So he likes to look at it that way. He also has another analogy with the old nature and the new nature, and it's to kill them. Right? So you kill the old man, right? Well, the old man or the old nature or the old way of doing things or your old heart, right? It's called really the old man. And I got a funny story. There was a guy who uh, wrote in his Bible uh, years ago, uh, a kid in the youth group, and it said, Lord, help me. I need your help. I need to kill my old man, right? <laughs> And so the youth pastor found it, right? He left it at the youth group, and he found it, and he was all concerned, you know? And he called in, and how's your relationship with your father? And he said, why? It's good. There's nothing wrong. Really, you have no hostility, no problems at home. And he goes, no, no. And he goes, well, we found your Bible, and it says, Lord, help me kill my old man. I got to kill my old man. You know, and he goes, oh, I was reading Galatians chapter 5 or wherever where it says, put to death the old man. So he was trying to kill his old man. Listen, uh, let me, let's read the Colossians passage as we wrap up. All right. Now, I have underlined, you, you have a part to play 
in how you cooperate with him or not. And here's what you need to do. Put to death, there's one of them, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which really amounts to idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God's coming. Well, that's a good motivation right there. Uh, Verse seven, you used to, come on, you guys, that was the old days before you became new. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things. The verbs are to throw away, to get rid of such as anger, rage, malice, mean-spiritedness, slander, talking um, badly, character assassination of people, filthy language, profane from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've, see, here it is, taken off your old coat that smells and got, got holes in it and with its practices and have put on the new. It's the same verbs for changing clothes. So that's his analogy. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, separated, separated, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. There it is again. Put it on. Embrace it. Get rid of the old. Throw it away. Take it off. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, there it is again. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It doesn't sound that hard, right? You have a sinful nature. Genesis chapter four, the Lord speaks to Cain, the first murderer. As says, Cain, what's, what's your problem, man? Do the right thing. And everything will be good. And he said, but I know something about you, Cain. You've got bad desires. And he says, in your heart, sin is crouching like a wild animal. It wants to pounce and destroy you and have its way. It wants to master you. But you must master it. All right? So you have that. You have that lioness waiting. The best moral person, the most... uh, Uh, literate in the Bible, the most mature Christian in this room has a sin nature that left to itself can do a lot of damage. Therefore, you must be active. You must be active. You can't let that happen. So I got three one-sentence things almost. Listen, number one. In order to do this work, number one, it's a spiritual work. It's not about you uh, and your willpower. It's about by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, quoting the scriptures, if by the Holy Spirit's power you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live in peace. Our work is to figure out how do I yield to the Holy Spirit so that he can keep that bad me monster down. It's yielding and learning and working with him. Uh, Don't try to do it yourself. You try to do it with the Lord, right? With his power. Number two, it's a daily continual work. 
Um, Jesus told us if anyone wants to follow him, let them pick up their cross, deny themselves daily, you see. Every day is a new day. You might have served the Lord great yesterday, and I'm so happy for you. But tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow's when you might meet her, gentlemen. Tomorrow, young man, is when you're going to get a pop-up. You know, does it, have you ever wondered why pop-ups aren't like praise the Lord or, you know, hey, have you read your Bible today or an open Bible? You know, hey, time to read the scriptures or have you been to church lately? You know, a pop-up like, whoa, have you ever noticed that's not what you get? You get something else, gentlemen. And you may have a clean slate all until today, but 10 seconds in the wrong place in the wrong times, sir, you're going to fall. Why? Because you're not on guard. You be on guard daily. It's a daily fight, right? And then there's the last thing. There's always a choice. (laughs) You will make a choice whether to take the thought captive today. You will have a choice because you're going to get a stray one today, I promise. And you're going you're gonna to either go, let it fly by, whatever, or you're going to go, whoa, wait a second here. You can do it while you're talking to somebody. No, uh-uh, Holy Spirit. I, I do that all the time. Holy Spirit, and he comes on it, pull, down, gone, done. You may have to do it again. <laughs> but you're proactive. You're alive. You care about what's going on in your own head. He's listening to that nonsense. He he might want to hear you say, hey, whoa, wait a second. This is not in line with who he is and his will and plan for my life. And therefore, I stand against it, even when it's your own desire. Uh, Nothing says you're really a Christian as when you stand against your own self. When you stand against your own self and say, whoa, That's not right. And you're telling yourself that. That's a good sign. There's always a choice. So you'll either go with the dirty rag and the smelly coat, or you'll take it off when you, whoa, that's bad. And you'll put on Christ and compassion and good stuff. But the choice will be yours. Keep the coat or change the coat. Embrace that thought. Let it live or let it die. How do you? Put to death something like an emotion or something. Well, I've been around dead bodies because I'm a pastor and I see, I see dead bodies. You know, if you touch them or anything like that, they don't, they don't do anything back. So one of the ways you can deal with a thought or a prompting to put it to death is to do nothing. You don't see, you don't hear, you don't taste, you don't tell. Nothing happens when you're dead. And it's really a death to it, right? And so that's one one way. It will be a choice. You're either going to put it to death or you're going to embrace it. But God will ask you and you'll never be able to have an excuse because Christians have the option to go with the new life or to go with the old. Last illustration is a dramatic one. And I only read one sentence of the story and I stopped reading because it was so uh, disconcerting. You're either going to let that beast called the sinful nature, the old man, described as an animal, to come out 
or you're going to master it and keep it confined. Uh, a teenager in Manhattan had a pet, a boa constrictor kind of pet, and he let it out, New York Times article, he let it out of the cage because it was his pet. And I stopped reading because the sentence said, apparently the snake had mistaken him for its food. And I went, I don't want to read this article. The very thing that you are lackadaisical about, casual, you know, the very thing that sometimes you even nurture and allow. And yeah, you know, I'm used to this thing. I'm going to just let it, you know, spread its legs a little bit. Not with the snake, you know. That would be hard to do for a snake to spread its legs. But <laughs> you are going to let that thing out. And you know what? It's going to mistake you for food. That happens all the time. Stop loving the thing that's going to kill you in the long run, destroy your family and your Christian testimony. Stop being fond of it. Stop tolerating it. Stop justifying and excusing it in all the hundreds of ways. Zero tolerance for these things. Why? Because he says, you, 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 you didn't come to know Christ that way. You got the truth. You have the light. You have the power in your heart and your mind. You can't give way to those kinds of behaviors. Unless, of course, you don't have the truth and you don't have the light. And the reason you're behaving that way, even though you're in church, is that the Holy Spirit hasn't truly gotten in there yet. There's a difference between struggling, like I struggle, we all struggle, and a rampant giving oneself over as a result of not knowing the power and the salvation of God. Amen? Amen. But we have better things to talk about. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and from the truth come right deeds and blessings. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering with us. And thanks, Lord, for giving us choices that we have a choice. And that with every temptation, there, there comes a way of an escape. Uh, with every thought, we have options to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit to deal with those kinds of things so that we could live a life that's worthy of the calling. That's the whole context, to live worthy of the calling. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.